Um, with that, I want to jump into our pyramids series in the book of Exodus, but I want to start out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have gathered us together to read your word, to, to get to know you. We just, we just ask today that you would open our hearts to hear your message. God, I ask that you would be with me. I would ask that you would pour into me your spirit, that you would allow my words to be clear and concise. And I ask that, that everything that comes from your word today, that each person in this room would find something to take away, some way to enrich their life, Lord. I ask that you would bless us as we go through your word. We thank you for this church. We ask that you'd be with all of those who were not able to make it, all of those who were at home, uh, maybe snowed in, or if they're on the roads, we ask that you would give them safety and comfort and peace. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, all right. What is the, what's the date today? It's like 29th. It's the last week in January, which is exciting. You want to know, you don't know why I'm excited? My wife and I, we have a, we have a gym membership at the YMCA. It's one of the things we love to do. We like to go out and work out and run on the treadmills and, and lift weights and do all that kind of stuff. We've been going, what, six months now? Eight months? Quite a while. What do you think that we've been experiencing when we go to the gym these last three or four weeks? Well, we have plenty of uh, open machines and stuff. The opposite. It's the new year. And everybody is doing their New Year's resolution. So when we go to the gym to go work out these last three weeks, it's been a madhouse in there. It's bad. It's horrible. And because everyone's making their New Year's resolutions, which on a side note, I've always found New Year's resolutions to be a little silly because in my mind, if you want to make yourself better, you don't need to wait till January to do that. But that's a side note. That's a side note. I don't, I don't want to disparage anybody because these people, are try, they're trying to better their lives. They're trying to get in shape. They're trying to make themselves better people. And so I understand. I admire it. But I'm also excited because I know that when I go to the gym next week, it's going to be a little bit less busy. And the week after that, it's going to be a little bit less. And by the time February's over, that place is going to be a ghost town. And I'll be able to actually have a treadmill to run on again. And even though, I mean, it makes me a little sad that, you know, these people are, they're giving up. At, but it's the normal course of things. They'll be back next year. That's kind of just the way things go. But it, it kind of has gotten me thinking about why do we quit things so easily? It's not like this is a new phenomenon. This happens every single year in January where people get excited. They're going to start doing something. And then by the time March rolls around, it kind of wanes off a little bit. I would, I'm guessing that most of you probably have at least done something this year to maybe better yourself. Maybe you've started a Bible in a year plan. I know that's really popular around January. And that's good. I want to encourage you if you've done that. If you're starting to read the whole Bible this year, keep at it. So if it's the 29th 
you're probably just barely getting done with Genesis. And you're going to be starting an Exodus, which might be easy because we're going to be going through it here in church. But I want to warn you that sometime next month you're going to get through Exodus and you're going to get to Leviticus. And that's the place where Bible in a year reading plans go to die. That's the place where you get to that point and you're like, ah. And you're probably thinking to yourself, why, Josh, why are you being such a downer? Why are you telling me this bad news? Why are you telling me that I'm going to fail? First and foremost, I'm telling you this because I want you to succeed in making yourself a better person. I want you all to grow in your faith. I want you to make better choices and become more and more like Christ every day. But if we don't start to take a look at the reasons why we fail then we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice and we're never going to improve. So that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at the reason we fail at things. And I want to take a look in the book of Exodus. I want to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. So we're in the book of Exodus. At the end of chapter 13, I want to pick up in verse 17. And at this point in the story, it's been a couple of weeks, but at this point in the story, Moses has gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go and make sacrifices to the Lord. Pharaoh said no. God displayed his power and his authority over Egypt until finally Pharaoh relented and let the people go. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Where God is giving the Israelites a fresh start. In fact, in chapter 12, it even tells us that this was the month for them to, was to be the very first month, the first month of the year. So this was the new year for the Jewish people. God rearranged the entire calendar to revolve around this exact moment so that the exodus would be a fresh start for them. I think it's rather fitting. So... I want to pick up in chapter 13, starting in verse 17. We read, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. Okay, so if you picture a map of Egypt in your mind, in fact, if your Bible has a map in the back of it, I don't even know if mine does. Mine doesn't. If your Bible has a map in the back of it, I want you to turn to that map page. Um, if it doesn't, that's okay. I'll describe it. You'll be able to get it. But the, the Hebrew people are at the northern part of Egypt, and Israel, the promised land, is to the east of them. Sorry, I had to turn around, mirror image. Kind of to the northeast. And so there's a really there's a straight shot that goes along the northern coast of Egypt, straight up into Israel. It's the easiest way to get there, right up the coastline. But because it's the easiest way to get to Israel, that's also where the Philistines live, and that's the place where they're most likely to come across the Philistine army. And God knew that if he took them the short way, that they were going to run across an army and they were going to be afraid and 
get scared and turn back and retreat all the way back into Egypt, right into slavery again. And so God knew that they were not ready to face battle. He knew that they were not ready for war. So he took them south along the scenic route. Back in Exodus, verse 18 says, So God led the people around by the desert toward road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Okay, hold on a minute. Didn't I just get through telling you that they weren't ready for battle? And didn't verse 17 just tell us that the Israelites were not ready to face the Philistine army? But then verse 18 tells us that they marched out of Egypt ready for battle. So, if God is telling us that they're marching out ready for battle, then why didn't he just take them the shortcut? These are the kinds of questions, as you read your Bible, I want you to try start noticing these things. That doesn't make sense. I want you to be paying close enough attention that you see these things. You start having these questions. So in verse 18, it says, The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. And the word there, it's a little bit confusing. It's one of those Hebrew words that doesn't really come into English very well. The ESV says they were equipped for battle. Uh, the New American says that they were in a martial array, or some translations might say they were in a battle formation. Okay, so this is, this is one of those tricky phrases that gives us that the idea that they were, from the outside, they looked like an army. They were equipped. They were holding weapons, possibly. They were standing in a battle formation, but that's a different thing than being ready for battle. Let me say this in another way. I don't know what everybody's opinions is on uh, firearms and, and the Second Amendment and all of that kind of stuff. That's neither here nor there. I, I want to give you this example because I think you'll understand. Um, I own several firearms. I own some handguns. I like to go out target practicing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it never fails whenever I've gone to a gun shop or Cabela's or any place like that. I've lost track of how many times I've been standing in line to buy ammo, and this has happened. There's a, there's a couple in front of me, maybe a husband and wife, or a boyfriend and girlfriend, and the husband is helping the wife pick out a new handgun for self-defense. And it never fails. He will turn to her, or sometimes even the salesman will turn to this young lady and say, here, honey, here's a nice little pink revolver. Um, it's easy to use. It doesn't have any slides or anything to fiddle with. You don't even have to learn how to use it because it's just point and shoot. You can just keep it in your purse. You don't even need to get training on it. It's so simple. That's happened multiple times, and I start to get visibly upset because you know what's going to happen to that poor young lady if she ever has to use that for self-defense? When she's been handed this deadly weapon and been told, just stick it in your purse. You don't even need training on how to use it. She's equipped. 
She has the the gun. She's got her little Smith and Wesson with Wesson with the bullets, and it's in her purse. But she's not ready. She's not mentally and spiritually prepared to use that in a life or death situation. She doesn't have any training on how to properly use it. She's going to get herself hurt or worse. She's equipped, but she's not ready. As Christians, we equip ourselves with the tools we need. We read our Bible, we go to church, we take communion, we gather together, we pray, we have the weapons we need. But I want to ask, are we actually ready to face temptation when it comes? Are we spiritually trained for battle? Or are we just like the Israelites standing around in a formation holding these spiritual weapons with no idea how to use them? And so in Exodus, God takes them the long way because even though they're equipped, he knows that they're not ready. We read in verse 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Okay, as a quick aside, your homework for this week, and I'm going to give you homework. You can go back and read the last several chapters of Genesis, and we'll, it talks about that if, that's, uh, if you're confused by that. We'll move on into verse 20. It says, After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that they could neither travel by so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Okay, take your highlighter or your pen or whatever you have if you're taking notes or or put your finger on that verse. I want you to save that verse because we're going to come back and talk to it. Talk about it. Okay? Keep that in your mind as we move on. So they're being led out by this pillar of fire, this pillar of cloud. And then chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So Pharaoh changes his mind yet again. We shouldn't be surprised by this. When we read about the plagues, Pharaoh was constantly changing his mind. But this time he's not messing around. 
This time he's got 600 of his best chariots with him. As a frame of reference, typically when you went out for battle in the ancient Near East, you'd take maybe 150 chariots. That was considered a formidable array of chariots. Pharaoh brought 600 of the best ones plus all of the other ones he had in his arsenal. Not only that, but he's got officers over all of them. So not only is he sending his best equipment, but he's also making sure he's got his best equipment led by his top soldiers, the most elite soldiers that he has. He's going after the Israelites with everything he has. When Satan attacks us with temptation, you can bet that he's going to throw everything he has at you. He's not just going to send a little delegation. He's going to send 600 of his best chariots after you. So again, I have to ask you, are you spiritually ready or are you merely equipped? Let's read on. Verse 8 says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. They were marching out boldly. So they seemed to think that they were ready. They were marching boldly. Let's take a look at verse 9, though. It says, The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihirah, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. I don't care how boldly they were marching. It doesn't really sound like they were actually ready, does it? Listen to what they, listen to what they say to Moses in verse 11 here. It says, they, say, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why have you done this to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? That is scathing, by the way. Was it because there were no graves that you brought us out? They said, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. The Israelite people were what I would like to call comfortably oppressed. What do I mean by that? I mean, sure, they had to do backbreaking labor and build all of Pharaoh's temples, and they were beaten and abused. And at one point, Pharaoh even had all of their children thrown into the Nile River. But, you know, they had... They had a hot meal every day. They had a bed to sleep in. They had a roof over their heads. I guess this isn't so bad. I guess I'm being taken care of. So maybe Egypt isn't so bad after all. That's what they were thinking. 
They were so unwilling to take care of themselves that they would rather have lived in oppression under Pharaoh than to go out and follow God. They were comfortably oppressed. Back to my question, why do we fail at things? Number one, we fail at things when we equip ourselves without being ready. Number two, we fail at things because we get comfortable. I haven't seen any studies on this, so I don't have any actual real proof, but I have this theory that pillows become 10% softer on Sunday mornings. I have no proof. I haven't seen a study, but I've experienced it. You get up and your alarm goes off on Sunday, and I'm pretty sure blankets are also 15% warmer on Sunday mornings because you're laying there and you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is so comfortable. Oh, you know, I don't think God would mind if I just stayed home just one day. I'm forgiven of my sins. Jesus still loves me. I'm so comfortable. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I just stayed in this nice, warm bed. Comfortably oppressed. But look at what Moses says in reply. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Stand firm. You will see. In verse 13, actually, it, it kind of bothers me a little bit. Because of the fact that Moses has to tell them, you will see God's deliverance. You will see that God is in control of everything. You will see that God will hand the Israel or the Egyptians over to you. And if you only read chapter 14 by itself, it wouldn't be that bad. But when you read the whole book of Exodus, you have to stop and think to yourself, didn't we just spend seven chapters seeing that already? Think about it. Why did Moses have to tell them, you will see? They've already seen it. It's not like the Israelites were just in their houses for the past several months, unaware, oblivious of the fact that the water's turning to blood and there's frogs everywhere and the cows are all dying. Like, they've already seen it. They had all the evidence that they needed already. Which brings me to a very important point. I want you to pay attention to this. There are very few people who can come to a relationship with God through reason and logic alone. There are very few people who can think their way into a relationship with God. In fact, I can probably count on one hand the number of people I know who were like that. And every single one of them was either extremely gifted, high IQ, or on the autism spectrum, and their brain was just built differently than ours. Which, by the way, is a blessing that God has certain people that he designs their brains that way, and he just makes them different. That's pretty amazing. But I don't have that. 
And I'm guessing most of you don't have that ability either. And I'm guessing most of the people you interact with on a daily basis can't reason and think themselves to God. And yet, if you go and buy a book about how to bring people to Christ, a book about how to evangelize, it's going to be full of ways you can argue with people and logic them and reason them into a relationship with God. And that's just not how people work. The Israelites had all the evidence they needed. They had all the proof they needed, and yet they were still afraid. They still had to be told, again, you will see even though they had already seen. And what we get in verse 14 is probably the best advice you could ever give to somebody who is afraid, to somebody who doesn't understand. And maybe it's you right now. Maybe it's me right now. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you thought you had everything planned out, and it's just been upended, and you have no idea what your next move is supposed to be. Maybe the relationships that you thought were on solid ground and a firm foundation, they're starting to crumble at the edges, and you have no idea how to fix things and repair that. Maybe you're dealing with guilt because you know that you've let somebody down, and you know you could do more and more, but it just... You can't, and it eats you up inside. Or maybe you're failing again and again, and you're ever starting to wonder, am I ever going to get things right? Maybe you're afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's it. All the rest of it, all of the equipping yourself and preparing yourself, stepping outside of your comfort zone so that you're not comfortably oppressed, all that's great. But none of that matters if you don't understand the fact that God will fight for you. You need only to be still. So stop. Be still. You don't have to fight the Egyptians on your own. God doesn't expect you to. In fact, he knows that you can't fight them on your own. He knew the Israelites couldn't fight them on their own. That's why he led them the long way. And that's why God has led you exactly to the place where you are today. Because he knew that that's what you needed. Whatever you're struggling with, you don't think God knew that you were going to experience exactly this problem at exactly this place at exactly this time for exactly this reason? Because God knew that when you were hemmed in by the desert, when you were pinned in against the sea, that you were going to have no other choice, nowhere else to run but to stop and be still and rely on him. And allow him to fight for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? 
Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Okay, remember that verse I told you to circle and highlight and pin? Let's go back to that and read that one more time. It was verse 13, chapter 13, verse 21. It said, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And then in chapter 14 here, we're reading that that same pillar of fire withdrew and went behind them and stood between them and the Egyptians. A pillar of fire. And it shined light on the Israelites and darkness on the Egyptians. Full disclosure here. I could be 100% wrong about this. This is just my understanding of what I think we're reading here. But it seems to me that this pillar of fire is the presence of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this when we talked about Moses and the burning bush and the flame and the angel of the Lord being a messenger of God and Moses not having the right words to understand what Holy Spirit meant. We talked about how in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit descended on the people like tongues of fire. That's what I think we're seeing here. I think we're seeing the presence of the Spirit. And that same Spirit, that same fire lives inside of you. If you're a Christian, you have that fire inside of you. So why do we fail at things? We fail because even though we're equipped with the right tools, we are not spiritually ready for battle. We fail because we fall into complacency and we don't expect that Satan's going to send all of his chariots after us. We fail because we spend too much time trying to think our way to God and not enough time just being still and allowing him to fight for us. So how do we win? How do we not fail? We win when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us. When we allow God to stand between us and evil and fight for us, to illuminate our lives, to cast our sin and our temptation and our greed and our pride and all of that, to cast it into darkness just like he did to the Egyptians. 
And if you're a Christian, that spirit is inside of you. That fire is in you. So stoke it. Spend personal time with God every single day. Devote yourself to service in God's kingdom. Spend time praying over not just the people you love, but your enemies. When you see that person and you get that little gut feeling that says, you know, I think I want to go over and talk to them. I think they look like they might need encouragement. That little gut feeling that's telling you that that person needs to hear some prayers, that person might need prayed over, that's the spirit telling you to do it. That's the spirit trying to lead you and use you. So listen to it. All of these things can stoke that fire of the spirit within you. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What's the gift he's talking about? What's he talking about that needs fanned into flames? Verse 7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Whatever sea you're backed up against, whatever armies you're facing, God is big enough to handle it if you let him. Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and left. So God made a way for them to escape Egypt through the water. And by the way, if you're keeping track of fingerprints in our pyramid here, if you're making notes of that, I see baptism all over this passage. I see a fingerprint of baptism that says, we too can escape through our Egypt, our sin, through the water of baptism. Just a little something to ponder, something to think about through the week. But then we get verse 23. It says, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. So don't think just because you're a Christian, just because you're on God's team, that Satan's going to just all of a sudden stop trying to win you back. He's going to stop chasing you. In fact, it's the exact opposite. When you enlist in God's army, Satan is even more likely to want to take you out. Think about it. The Israelites were not the only people enslaved in Egypt. He had plenty of other nations that he had in Egypt that were still back doing his bidding. He wasn't sending armies after them. 
because he knew he'd already got them. He was sending all of his chariots after the ones that might get away. And that's what Satan is going to do to you as a believer. Watch out for that. Verse 24 says, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud as the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites, but the Israelites, the people of God, went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. So through all their faults, through all their doubt, the Israelites were able to escape because they had enough faith to rely on God to hold back the waters and to jam the wheels of their enemies. This week, I want you to think about the Egyptians in your life. I want to think about the armies that you're facing. And I don't care how big or how small it is because it's important to you. And if it's important to you, it's important to God. Whatever battles you're facing. If you're trying to read your Bible more often, whatever it is. I want you to rely on God to help you cross that sea. If you're facing stress and anxiety and guilt, I want you to rely on God to help you cross that sea. If you're afraid of failing at something, I want you to know that those armies coming at you, all that stress, all of those family issues, all of the whatever it is, God can handle it if you just let him, if you step out in faith and you put your trust in him. And you let him hold back the water for you. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we are so grateful that you have delivered us. God, we know that we don't always get it right. In fact, most times we get it wrong. Sometimes we doubt, sometimes we're afraid, and God, we just want to thank you so much that you saved us anyway. God, we ask that you would help us to be still and know that you are God, to be still and let you fight for us. 
God, I ask that you would take us out into the world and use us, not by our own power, not by anything we have, not by anything we've done, but through the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. God, I just ask that you would help us stoke that fire and let the Spirit lead our lives so that we can become more and more and more like your son Jesus every day. We thank you for the sacrifice on the cross that makes all of this possible. We pray all these things in the name of your son Jesus. And the church said...